Time for Radio Salon. Uh, this is our weekly discussion segment with our panel of experts. Let me introduce our panelists. Uh, joining us here, independent legal researcher with uh, LaQuant LLC, Cheng Huang. Hello to you, sir. Morning, Henry. And also joining us from Yonsei University Institute for North Korean Studies, Dr. Pong Yong-sik. Dr. Pong, good, good morning. morning to you. We're going to be discussing the uh, National Assembly and the forming of committee chairmanships in this new 21st National Assembly. For those who don't um, follow politics, it might sound sound like a really boring, dry uh, topic, but it's been pretty dramatic, especially if you are uh, people who kind of enjoy sort of the, uh, I guess, the sports aspect of politics and what's been going on with the jostling for position there. But before we get into that, I I would like to ask our panelists on the big breaking developments that occurred uh, yesterday. Um, I'll maybe start with Professor Huang. First, uh, your reaction to this bold, provocative, um, outlandish decision by North Korea to blow up a liaison office, although that may have been signaled already by Kim Yo-jong, and how that you think is going to affect uh, policy going forward and, and maybe even the politics here in Korea? Yeah, I, have, I guess I just have two questions going forward. One is what is going to be you know next series of provocations that North Korea will surely engage in, and will that result in any loss of life? Something you know which would be really unfortunate. Two, I wonder if the Moon administration is ready to sort of you know do some major co- course correction about its North Korean uh, policy. I mean, I think those two, two things are worth you know uh, watching out for going going for next few weeks. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> this is your field of expertise, Dr. Bong. So um, we we do try to not always do North Korean issues because that's you know that can be uh, repetitive. But obviously this is a big news story. I thought and, uh, we this need to morning get would be the exception. I, I I thought so as well. But I guess just for this one question, um, th- do you think this does have a big effect on on South Korea going forward with politics and policy? Uh, we have to wait and see. It depends on how the Moon Jae-in government is going to respond respond to the uh, very provocative and critical statements and uh, actions taken by North Korea so far. It seems like North Korean authority uh, wants to have two contradictory goals at the same time from South Korea. One is huge economic benefits uh, to relieve its uh, uh, failed economy. And second uh, goal is to raise the tension across the DMZ so that the uh, agitated and angry public uh, in North Korea because of prolonged economic difficulties Uh, toward the Kim Jong-un leadership uh, would be shifted to outside so-called enemies. So you cannot have both uh, high tensions and uh, benefits coming from South Korea and the United States. And uh, you're angry and uh, kind of a frustrated public. If you anger and frustrate the South Korean public, there's going to be less political uh, legal wiggle room for President Moon to actually uh, be more bold in Mm -hmm. pro-engagement policies. I think the the very reserved and uh, measured response by President Moon Jae-in, especially his message delivered on uh, 15th of June in uh, commemoration of the first inter-Korean summit meeting in 2000, uh, were very appropriate. Yeah, and so... uh, We'll see how the uh, tensions, and I'm sure we'll have another chance to talk about this in, in future segments. Let's talk about the uh, politicians now, because uh, maybe they have been slightly distracted by what happened with North Korea, but uh, certainly the ba- main focus has been the committee chairmanships, uh, Professor Huang. We've got 18 standing committees in the National Assembly, but uh, really the, the only one that mattered as of now with this debate and argument was the uh, Judiciary and Legislative Committee, because that is the committee that allows uh, the bills to eventually be tabled to the National Assembly for a full 
vote. Uh, who controls that basically controls the legislative agenda, I think you can say. Democratic Party basically said, and I've always said, this is a math issue. They did it. They had the votes and they got the committee and they weren't going to compromise on that issue. The UFP has reacted Maybe predictably, but uh, what, what, what do you make of this and, and the standoff and I guess now the ensuing boycott by the main opposition UFP? Well, I mean, the UFP can't be seen as, you know, somebody who just says, well, we don't have the votes, we're not going to do anything. So they needed to, you know, show, show some meaningful resistance. And one, one thing that they did have going for them was, was as a convention, it, it is usually the, uh, the you know, the um, minority opposition party, which usually had the chairmanship of the judiciary and the legislative committee going as far back as 1988. So it's kind of an established convention they're appealing to. And practically speaking, because the, the Minju Party can muster up 180 votes in the National Assembly with no problem because of the larger liberal uh, bloc within the National Assembly. They can fast track any bill, you know, without uh, without any problem. But if the UFP had a chairmanship of the, the Judiciary and Legislative uh, Committee, they could at least kind of slow down the fast track process by 90, 90 days, which means that they can, you know, do, you know, kind of show to the people that, hey, we are do, doing some, you know, meaningful opposition and meaningful check on the power. So, you know, they wanted to have that as, as a symbolism and, you know, the Minju Party just kind of railroaded right, uh, right over them. Yeah, and uh, you, you mentioned 184 fast track, so they would be able to get that. They actually even have a cushion if they assume that the Justice Party with their six votes, the Udi Minju Party with their three votes, and maybe, you know, some of the independents as well as, you know, that Ancha Su Party with uh, three part, uh, votes as well. They, they, they might have a, a sizable block of 190 to even actually uh, handle defections on, on a lot of this stuff. What is your initial thoughts on what's been going on in the National Assembly? Well, um, the mandate expressed by the constituents in the last... Uh, National Assembly election on April 15 was uh, very straightforward in my personal opinion, meaning the National Assembly has to work in the interest of the public. Right. So um, the uh, who is going to be the uh, head of the standing committee should be very, very secondary issue mm. uh, in the recent stage of the National Assembly uh, before its uh, beginning. So, uh, and we are in the middle of the uh, crisis created by the COVID-19 outbreak. And we also mentioned the escalation of the, of the military tension because of North Korea's provocation. And things are moving really fast and wild uh, in international relations, especially between United States and China. So yeah. uh, can we afford, um, can, here we, the members of National Assembly or party members afford uh, all these uh, uh, you know, issues, organizational issues, uh, then the mandate expressed by the constituents will be once again ignored. So in, in your view, the frustration of the 20th National Assembly and the fact that Yeo Sang-gyu, the uh, judiciary chairman there, basically buried thousands and thousands of bills. And uh, there were a few that the landmark bills that did come across the prosecution reform bill, uh, some of these other bills that did pass eventually. But a lot of people voiced that frustration by, as you say, giving the, the mandate. But you also said the UFP 
can't, uh, in terms of face saving, just be shown to kowtow and, and kind of just whimper away and say, oh, we don't have the votes. Uh, Chu Ho-young did resign as floor leader or intend to resign. Uh, that does seem like more of a PR move in terms of just, again, voicing the displeasure. Uh, he's being sort of talked down from that with the chairman, uh, Kim Jong-un, of the emergency committee and some members of his party. But there are still competing factions there. I don't think we necessarily have this pro-Park, uh, anti-Park uh, kind of dynamic. But there does seem to be a hardline contingent in the UFP and maybe more, I wouldn't say dovish, but at least more practical, reading the tea leaves, going, let's try to at least extract what we can when, since we know right now we're never going to be able to get this uh, Judiciary Committee. And that seems to be still sort of the uh, uh, kind of sticking point for the Conservative Party to have a co- cohesive strategy. Yeah, and you know if they go too hardcore, as you mentioned, the Minju Party might as well say that you know right now the you know the Minju Party's proposal is to let's split the chairmanship in eleven to seven, which would be roughly basically sixty forty split that we see in the National Assembly seats. But you know if things you know kind of drag on, you could. You know, you could even you know say that hey, the Minju Party might you know throw their hands and well, fine, we'll just take all of them, which is unlikely. But I think you know, kind of the optics will kind of dictate what will be, and kind of the practical considerations from within the UFP will also dictate the future, the ongoing negotiation. But Mr. Chong Wang correctly mentioned that aren't we all tired of the same tactics used by the opposition party, boycotting, right? Asphalt uh, politics, as they call it, right? Uh, right. Going out to Kwangamu. The National Assembly, i like to repeat my point that the mandate expressed by the constituents in the National Assembly election in April, I believe, was to make the National Assembly productive. And boycotting strategy, for whatever reason, uh, that can be used for the opposing uh, parties, uh, cannot be justified. I mean... Boycotting should be the last thing the Mm. uh, political parties participating in the newly formed National Assembly must be using. There is then, uh, as far as the cards left to play uh, for uh, the UFP, as you say, that they've been sent a message by the voters, stop doing this um, boycotting, obstructing, kind of appealing to the very right, extreme right. Or taking the streets outside the National Assembly building. What what they can do is try to garner public support. And I think what you're saying is that these moves to boycott the assembly or even for the full leader to resign is kind of have a victim mentality or at least portray themselves as martyrs of this cause. If we want to just provide, all we're trying to do is provide a check to this, you know, monolithic power that is subsuming us and maybe turning us into a socialist state or whatever the um, the rhetoric would be. Uh, but it does not seem like that has necessarily worked. There's not necessarily this appetite right now of saying that, well, um, uh, you know, we, we think the ruling party is too powerful and if they control the judiciary committee, that's going to be a travesty of justice. So there does seem to be a need for them to find some kind of strategic way forward. I mean, they they still have uh, well over 100 seats. And of course. And even in the National Assembly, while they got clobbered, they did get, you know, in the, uh, in the kind of a regional district elections, the ruling Minju Party got about around 49% of the votes and the, the UFP got about 41% of the votes, which means that, you know, they do have, you know, a fairly large portion of South Korean hardcore uh, supporters who kind of, you know, say that, you know, you, you need to stand up to the ruling Minju Party. Plus, you know, if you look at the media landscape, you know, the, the, the lar- large newspaper, uh, 
largest newspapers in Korea are kind of you know very very much skewed towards uh, the conservative side, and you, all you have to do is just pick up their you know editorials every morning, and they'll be you know all excavating about mm. you know possible uh, oncoming the dictatorship-like behavior from the Minju Party. So it's not like the the, the media fight that the UFP has is is impossible. The um, just I, I guess going from uh, what you generally have to research and teach on a daily basis, uh, you you talked about there are certain pressing matters right now, and uh, I think the one pressing matter for the National Assembly for sure is the third supplementary budget bill that uh, President Moon wants to be bigger than all the other rest to to make sure the economy stays afloat. But it was prescient that uh, that dramatic uh, election of six committee heads included. The Defense Committee and the the Foreign Relations Committee, uh, Foreign Relations, uh, notably, uh, going to be led by uh, Song Yong-gil. Uh, do do you feel these um, committee heads? I mean, regardless of whether they're opposition or ruling party, and and the formation of these, they are necessarily influential or crucial in these times of uh, potential diplomatic crises. Well, we have to wait and see. I I I would hope personally they would be influential because uh, that means that the coordination and cooperation between the lawmaking body of this government and the administrative body of the government in the Blue House would be on the same page in dealing with uh, provocations by North Korea. The uh, parliamentary speaker, Park Byung-seok, He's newly elected. One thing that is inherent with the uh, pitfall of the National Assembly job, yes, it is very prestigious. It is probably one of the uh, top two or three kind of uh, political prestige positions here. But if you've seen the recent track record of the uh, parliamentary speakers, uh, Moon Isang, the predecessor, and then even Cheong uh, Se-kyun, who, um, you know, quite unusually you know, right now is the prime minister, but also former National Assembly speaker, is they generally get criticism from both sides. And and I know that there is criticism against Park Byung-sook for deciding to go ahead with the committee chairmanship votes and the main opposition saying, oh, that's horrible, you should step down. And you should... But there are a lot of people on the ruling party side, because we talk about hardliners, there are hardliners on the ruling party side too. And there are hardliners that are saying, no. It has to be all 18. We have to take um, th- this idea of a compromise with the uh, let's let's keep the Judiciary Committee, but why don't we give the Budgets and Reconciliation Committee as a gesture of goodwill? There are a lot of people angry about the idea that they would even consider that because that controls the purse strings and the budget with the things like we're talking about with the supplementary budget. Park Byung-suk is under fire from the ruling party side, uh, at least supporters, for only going for the six committee seats initially instead of the 11 that was uh, supposedly on schedule. And now we are in a crunch until the Friday deadline to get all 18 uh, committee chairs um, uh, elected. Is that, is that a sign that Park Byung-suk is doing a good job? You know how they always say, if, if you're angry on both sides, you must be doing, you know, you, you must be being objective and fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that depends on you know what what, what your you know uh, objective or you know the kind of the measurement stick is, and kind of uh, the the funny thing about Korean National Assembly, I mean, there are probably many funny things, but you know one one funny thing in this particular aspect is that you know once you become a National Assembly speaker, you are supposed to actually lose your party affiliation and be kind of the neutral. That's kind of a legal fiction right. that exists within the National Assembly, and everybody agrees that nobody really believes that. And sometimes you know national Assembly speaker sort of has his his uh, own ideas about what that neutrality means. Mm-hmm. So I mean, is this uh, you know being a, being a good National Assembly speaker? Is it tr- trying to sort of speak to the history, or is it trying to really kind of not forget you know where his you know, tr- true loyalty lies? Who knows? I mean, yeah. 
In your view, uh, as far as what Park Byung-suk is doing in terms of angering both sides, with the opposition, uh, and we've been talking about that they don't really have any other options and uh, cards to play right now, what can they do? Because it does seem like, again, if they decide to go the route, as you say, accept the mandate and just try to cooperate and, and negotiate to the best of your ability, it does seem to be still a part that will anger the more uh, Uh, hardline, extreme wing of the party who is still very much upset, especially as you see is the loudest voices are on those uh, right-wing YouTube channels who kind of have been almost setting the agenda, at least in the past, before this general elections. Well, I don't have any magic solution to uh, any issues related to the National Assembly. Who has when it comes to yeah. National Assemblies? I sometimes believe that uh, you will require more than Jesus Christ and Buddha coming together and mm-hmm. working together, but it may not even enough. So I would just say that the happiness to, uh, path to happiness is not trying to satisfy everyone but right. yourself. So leaving 11 um, in a committee heads out of 18, maybe a, a huge and uh, substantial concession on the part of the ruling party because basically National Assembly in any functional liberal democracy with free and open elections is, uh, is governed by the Majority rule. Um, and the ruling party could have done even more, right? Right. But leaving 11 out of 18, a special committee has still open, available to the opposition parties, meaning that the door is still open for negotiation and mm-hmm. dialogue. The uh, question is whether they are going to uh, take that offer uh, when, when we see at the end of the day that uh, the writing will be on the wall. And I, I, I had thought this was a bluff, like you said, that uh, the ruling party is saying, We're gonna, we have the numbers, we'll just go to a straight up and down vote and we'll get all the 18 committee seats. And I thought, there's no way they're going to do that. There's you know, the backlash from, from all of that. But it looks like um, if, if the ruling party, I mean, if the opposition party continues to be obstinate in this, uh, it could end up being the case that... Uh, They control all 18 seats. And in fact, you know, some in the uh, opposition party might actually welcome that. That's my, that was my point. Is, is that actually a blessing in disguise going forward? Because we have, we have no idea how the economy is going to go. We have no idea how the pandemic is going to go. And we obviously now don't have any idea how the North Korean situation is going to go. And a lot of these external factors beyond the control of the president or the ruling party could be very detrimental. And if they are seen holding all the levers of power... Inevitably, it does seem like public sentiment could turn against them. So basically, it's a high-risk, high-return kind of strategy on yeah. bo- for yeah. the both sides, right? I mean, if things turn out well, I mean, you know, so far, you know, South Korea has been very successful with COVID-19. North Korea, maybe, you know, so, so something will, will t- turn out. And in two years, maybe uh, Moon Jae-in uh, administration might look like a genius with, with regard to you know, North Korean relations. If that happens, then, you know, you know, forget about next presidential election. On the other hand, you know, it's... If, if things go well, they get all the glory. But if things go bad, you know, they'll get all the shame and responsibility. You know, basically, if things could fall apart in the next year and a half, and you know, it might be a landslide on the other side, on the other direction. So, I mean, it's a high risk, high return for both sides. High risk, high return for both sides. I think everyone's gearing up now. Uh, I, usually, at this time, you think. 
okay, there's a lame duck presidency, and then everybody's ignoring what the president's doing and then trying to kind of position themselves. But this is probably the first time in, in decades that uh, we don't have a lame duck situation for President Moon Jae-in with his approval ratings as well as the, uh, the power in the National Assembly. Uh, how do you see the political dynamics changing, and what do you think are going to be some of the key factors that you think? I, I know you talked about the economy with the budget, the pandemic, and obviously uh, the North Korean situation. Do you think any of these dynamics are, are uh, really, volatile? It will eventually come down to national economy. Uh, felt by you know uh, general households because the uh, if the current trends continue, then uh, it was predicted by economists that the, by the year 2023 the uh, national debt to GDP uh, rate would be over 50 percent for the first time in national history, uh, 51.7 percent, mm-hmm. and uh, the national debt would reach 200 billion U.S. dollars in two years. And uh, you know that the national national uh, budget for next year uh, is proposed by the government uh, at uh, with the uh, 540 billion U.S. dollars. The problem is that with all these big measures, there is no guarantee that the national economy will be uh, doing fairly well, mm. and the national economy will be able to defend the uh, back backlash of the COVID-19 outbreak because we do not. Right. You know, get uh, you know clear escape uh, from the outbreak yet. Yeah. So a lot of uncertainties are still with us. And bottom line, all that leads to is uh, some some uh, detrimental effect to the economy, which would be a biggest driver for voters. Just very quickly, uh, Professor Huang, uh, just judicial economy, because this is in, in your wheelhouse. Uh, I know that there are some reformists on there, Park Jumin, Kim Yongmin, Kim Nanguk. Uh, a lot of people upset that Choi Kang-wook did not get onto that committee. But going forward with judicial prosecutorial reform, are you optimistic that they're, they're, now that they control it, that it's going be some progress made there? I mean, they'll do something. I mean, they all obviously have all the power in the world to, you know, ram down anything they want. But will they actually, you know, effect reforms that actually make sense and work? I mean, that's to be seen. I mean, I, I kind of, uh, I, I, I don't think anybody should, you know, discount sort of the ability of the prosecutorial office's ability to sort of, you know, survive and hold on to its power. Wow. So uh, even with the Kongsucha, uh, the independent uh, unit, uh, set to come into effect in July, uh, this committee now controlled by the ruling party, uh, looking at uh, addressing some of the previous grievances, uh, still the prosecution has some, uh, I guess, some uh, cards up their sleeve. Okay. Not uh, boding well then, uh, there at least for that final point. Dr. Bong, uh, Professor Huang, thank you both for joining us. Really appreciate the uh, discussion. Look forward to talking to you guys next week.